This is the Investor Frame Podcast with me, Paul Sparks. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Investor Frame Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Sparks. And on this show, we ask successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs to share their stories so we can all learn from their experiences and get closer to the things that we want in life. Today, I've got a close friend of mine, Devin Robinson here. Well, close friend. I'll take you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's got an awesome shirt, Raise More Capital. He and Let's I are both it. working on all sorts of you know, different ventures. He uh, and I got to know each other through Collective Genius. I really admire a lot of the things that he does. Um, you know, his 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 family life and like the way he leads his life and all the way bleeding through to people over profits inside of his business. That's his mantra. Absolutely love that. He's going to talk a little bit today about, you know, how he helps people out of really tough uh, foreclosure situations. He just did a presentation uh, at Collective Genius a few weeks back about maximizing your your virtual assistance with uh, artificial intelligence, AI, which is a huge topic these days. Yeah. He's doing all sorts of stuff with land entitlements, which I'm very jealous of as well. So it's awesome to have you, man. Welcome in, Devin. Oh, man. So thankful to be here. I appreciate you um, and you even considering having me on. I, the feeling is so mutual, man. I'm always impressed and I'm always bragging about you. People are like, um, oh, I'm like, oh, you know, I go to this mastermind. And when I talk about like one of the things that I believe, and this may be just diving in or whatever, but one of the big things that I believe about the community that CG has and even like um, the other masterminds that I'm in is like uh, every time I'm around people at CG, the ceiling of what I believe is possible is raised. Um, but then also like the floor of what um, of the floor of my limiting beliefs are also raised. And I always brag about like, I remember this like very, very vividly, like us sitting in a circle and it was like, you who have who has this crypto fund there's this guy um muhammad who is like oh i'm going to be worth 20 billion dollars in 10 years and then this other guy who's like i am starting essentially like carfax for real estate and it was just like these are the people that i surround myself with it's insane and like you're one of those examples of the guys that i'm like i don't belong in that circle with this guy but it's really cool to be in there with him so i'm um, really thankful for just your friendship man and, and the time we get together yeah, same here. Well, I would I would say that that belt that you've got there in the screen, if you're listening to this, Devin's got a, a sweet collective genius belt. And uh, I believe you won like the last couple times. It was like third place, second place, and then first place. So yep, that's um, exactly right. That's that's awesome. Well, we always start this show off with a six word update. So why don't you give us our, your six word update for today? Yeah. Okay. So my six word update is like what I'm spending a, mo a lot of my time doing right now. And it's just like, maximize VA potential with artificial intelligence. Like that's my six word update because like I'm constantly in this process of like, VAs are awesome. Um, VAs are just like wildly slept on, um, not the services that they provide, but the opportunities that they have, like that they give to expand and to enhance what we do. Uh, and so like we tend to put VAs in a box where like, my VAs to like legitimately have like master's degrees, like all of them, you know, and it's like, they've got master's degrees, they're highly intelligent. We just tend to go, VAs are good for administrative assistance and cold calling and texting where like, what I, um, what I decided to do was be like, guys, what do you, what are you guys passionate about? Like, what do you love doing? Even like, so I, this is, <laughs> I'm on like my ninth business right now. And so, um, I have learned and grown in a lot of different industries. And so in that, I'm also very, very big on like self-education. So I have a, I probably have like 40 courses like that I've bought well over a hundred grand worth of courses. 
And I was like, guys, here's a list of all the courses I have. Pick a, pick one. I don't care. Just pick one. Um, because I wanted them to do something because like VAs, they do the mundane because like they can, and we don't have any Philippine Filipino, um, VAs, but like the average pri- average salary of a nurse in the Philippines is like two or $300 a month. And these cold callers are making like $700 a month. So they're not doing it because they love it. They're doing it because it's the best paying thing that they could do. And so I was like, guys, like, I want you guys to do something you love. And so they just picked, they just started picking stuff from my courses from like, um, from, from like content creation and editing to SEO to branding, like Donald Miller's story brand, uh, to like, you name it, like they started choosing it. And, uh, and so then what birthed out of that was like, holy smokes, you guys are crushing all of this stuff. And then they started doing all that for me. So people are always like, yo, Devin, who's creating your content? Who's doing that and that and that? Are you doing all that? And I'm like, I haven't touched it. I don't even look at it. Like they do it. They post it like, like all of this stuff is done from them. And so, um, but just because I gave them the opportunity to kind of do something that they love to do and they are on fire for it. And so then what ended up happening was we were like, yo, they know a hundred other people that would love to do what they're doing. Let's start this VA service. And so that ended up happening from there. And so like I, and I'm constantly, what's, what's wild though for me is like the, um, the rate in which artificial intelligence is growing is like astronomical. So historically, like for the last five years, our technology has grown at like a 200 year rate each year, if that makes sense. So like every year, we we advance in technology by 200 years so essentially like if you think about it um it took so long to have a combustible engine or whatever it's called and to 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 advance to the next thing to advance to the next thing that like we're doing that at such a fast rate we were doing that at such a fast rate before but it's now like astronomically faster because ai where i'll have something and i'm like guys check out this ai this is a really cool one and I essentially told them, I told them all, I go, hey, in the next week, come up with four AI applications each that replaces you mm-hmm. um, and what you do. And like, not for the sake of them being replaced, but because like, I want you to enhance everything you do with it. Because for instance, if we offer a VA service, instead of one person, um, one person handling only 10 clients, we can now leverage VAs for one person to handle 50 clients, you know? And so then that, um, that enhances the, um, the efficiency of what they do through AI, but because artificial intelligence learns from itself at this point, every time, like, I'm like, Hey, this is a really awesome service. And it's probably the best one at the time. And then a week later, there's another one. Like there's literally another one that's slightly better than that one because it used the other one as a framework. And so like, it's, it's like a, it's a huge thing, which like, yeah. there's so much that, that grows from it, but I've got a spreadsheet of like 60, maybe like, nah, I would say like 45 different, um, AI sites that like we can implement to enhance what they're doing. And it's insane. That's it's cool. absolutely insane. So that's well, why gonna... that's my six words. I mean, that was what you presented on and that's what you won, you know, the belt. So we'll dig into that. Absolutely. And, and I want to talk about that in, uh, later in the show around the framework, we talk about the barbell mm-hmm. because that's such a massive upside play. You know, the, the opportunities to use this technology, um, is, is immense. Right. And so Crazy. now the, the question is, okay, well, how do we make it a reliable part of our business and consistent? And you've seen to have, you know, made a lot of headway into that, but let me 
uh, if I could get you to share a little bit more about your business, you've got pure flare homes, you know, we talked about foreclosures. We talked, you know, earlier about uh, these VAs, the AI, the land entitlements. Give us a, a picture of what your business looks like and, and where you're operating out of. Yeah. So great question, man. Um, <laughs> all right. You ready? Um, my business is the greatest labor of love that I've ever embarked in. Um, but it's also um, probably like it's so difficult and it's so hard uh, to, to do really, really well at a high level. But everything that I do in my life, I want to do at a high level. Um, and so I give like my all to it, but all, what ends up happening, like what, what has ended up happening is like, we hadn't really, so rewind. Uh, I started learning about real estate wholesaling on TikTok in April of 2021. We grew really quickly on like this crazy glitch in the matrix for sale by owners straight on Zillow straight to a hedge fund. Then what ended up happening in November, January of 2020, November 2021 to January 2022, the market started correcting. There's the hedge fund stopped buying all that stuff, but I only knew one model. So my business crashed and burned, I had to lay off everybody. But in that model, like we did 70 deals. Sorry, my cats are fighting on top of the car. Hey. <laughs> crazy i'm in my garage right now and they're just fighting on top of the car right there and one of falls it's crazy i thought so, i saw something back there earlier and i was like i don't know if that what that was but no it's that's that's hilarious it's like a, a little gremlin in the background <laughs> so um so uh but like we, and, and we had made a ton of money but i actually like because i didn't think it was actually going to be a real business because i had a couple other businesses that i was running at the time i was like hey friends this is really cool i'll give you guys half i gave them 50 percent of everything that came in because we thought it was just going to be fun thing ended up being a business, ended up hemorrhaging money, had to lay off everybody. It's a really hard season in life, but we never really, really recovered from that. All I did was I was in CG. And so I spent the next nine months honing my craft in obscurity. That's what I like to call it. Um, honing my craft in obscurity while nobody was watching, while, um, while you know, like we weren't making a bajillion dollars. Really, I, I put my head down and I just double down on learning SOPs, systems, process, process maps, learning each aspect of the business so that when we did start to grow, whatever we would put into the company would proportionally get out of it essentially like at, you know, at our, you know, three or four X ROIs, but it took me like seven months to get there. Um, and we're still, oh my gosh, my wife hates it because I'm like, baby, we're at the edge. We're right at the edge. And one of the hardest things, sometimes I have conversations with her and I, I used to play video games professionally. And so she'll just be like, why don't you just go back and play video games? Like, you know, because like the seasons get so hard for us sometimes. Um, and it's gotten to a point where like, where I'm really transparent um, is like, I had to go to my team of VAs and be like, hey guys, I can't pay you. Like, I can't pay you. Um, and so I have to let you all go. Um, and they rallied and I'm so thankful. And then they were like, hey, Devin, we've all decided to come together. And, um, and until you get it figured out, like we're here for you. And so we, I'm thankful we've created an incredible culture that they're super loyal and they're incredible and they're really cool. Um, but we're like right at the edge of that stuff happening where um, we would, um, like we'd been living, we've been living deal to deal for probably the last like four or five months. And I'm very honest and transparent about this. So that's fine. That's one of our core values. Um, but we've been living deal to deal. But like now we have refined and dialed in our system and our efficiencies so much, um, which I'm so fine, cool with, cool or excited about that. Probably for the last like two weeks, 
we've gotten two to three contracts a week out of foreclosures. Um, and especially and this week already, uh, because of what we've been refining that like now we will start to reap the rewards of that. And I think like, oh, I'm so excited about what's to come from it. So we have, uh, one of the decisions I made was to pull back from any like high equity absentee older data pooling, stuff like that. We don't do any of that because when you think about it, the average wholesale fee out of high equity absentee owners typically, unless you're doing like a novation is typically 15 to $20,000. But for us, what we found is like, almost every foreclosure deal is probably around 30 to $60,000 plus, I mean, plus. And so um, what, what I decided to do was instead of going for like spending all this money on data, doing all this stuff, like pulling all this data, skip tracing it, putting all the man hours into just pulling leads and then having my acquisition people cold call, like, like try to close them out for 15 K spreads. We've decided to go to like intense, um, like very intense motivation, like hyper niched intense motivation uh, and free marketing. And the average spread is, I mean, 30 to 60,000 in the, the, the cash conversion cycles are significantly cheaper or significantly faster. Like we got a contract on Saturday. We'll close it on Friday. It's going to be a 60 K spread. Like, and that's just kind of how a lot of them are is they're all within 10 day, 10 to 15 day windows. And so I've like, hyper-focused all of my VAs um, on foreclosures. And then like, not just like pulling the regular data, but like we call stepsisters and we call like, <laughs> we, we're calling like, we call neighbors and get a hold of people. Like we are hyper-focused on doing it. Now, all this to say, I learned this from the GOAT, right? Like we all learned this from the GOAT, Michael Frankie on all of this stuff. Um, I do think that I've, nah, I don't know. He knows a lot more than I do still on it, but I think I've taken it into a direction that fits our context a little bit more. And so of course ours looks different than his, but he's still the goat learned from him, all of that stuff. And then, um, and that's kind of how we, how we handle that stuff. So we're not even now, once we start getting consistent revenue, I will start um, pulling um, like the high equity absentee, whatever, just to have, consistency in that stuff and because we train up other VAs uh, for other companies that want to hire VAs from us. And so I want to make sure that they're really top-notch trained well for when they go. And so we will pull that data just so that we can make sure that our people are trained and, and ready for like market market conditions and stuff like that, market trends and corrections and things. Yeah. So that's kind of where we are. Oh, no, that's not, that's not it. Sorry. That's not it. We also do larger land development. So yep. learn this from the other goat council out of CG. So I love CG, both of those things that have radically changed my business. I learned from breakout sessions. Mike, Michael Frankie was in my room when he won the, yo, Michael Frankie was in my room when he won the belt for this foreclosure thing in June, 2022. Council was in my room when he won the belt and, uh, and whenever for teaching on the large land development stuff. And so I went, I build out his systems and processes for him, all of his SOPs and in essence, he let me have them and, uh, and learn them from him and learn with him. And in that, yeah, we've started to really work on some of that land development stuff that is just like, I, I tell people all the time, I legitimately think it's the easiest thing in all of real estate, but also fairly intimidating. And so people don't do it. Like it's in the, in the profit margins are like 90 something percent. It's just a lot, much a significantly larger, ca longer cash conversion cycle. So really wild. So that that's kind of the state of where I am right now. I mean, it's 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 a barbell. I mean, it's the definition of a barbell, which we'll talk about uh, a little bit later. But you know, 
this idea, like it takes a, a high degree of excellence to run these businesses that we're trying to run. You know, when you're talking about yeah, man. pulling data, making sure that you've got, you know, virtual assistants and lead managers and acquisitions managers and like your CRM has to be dialed in. And, you know, so I'm an engineer and I've, uh, we studied system reliability in college, you know? Um, and so what you know, what we know about system reliability is that everything is less than uh, 100%. So you can't have a more than 100% reliable system. Yeah. And the the formula to calculate system reliability, and I know I'm a big fat engineering nerd, so tell I me I love if this I'm stuff. Oh, no, no, no. You should see my spreadsheets. <laughs> but so like the reliability is, of a system is the sum of the product of the components of that system. So what that means is if you've got something that's 90% likely, so you send data, uh, text messages out, 90% of those text messages get delivered. And then let's say 90% of the time when they call in, somebody picks up the phone. Well, it's actually 90%, the reliability of that system is 90% times 90%, which is 81%. So it goes down when you add components. Now, if you add another 90% component to that, right? Let's say that now the it sales should theoretically go up because it's averaging, right? It's not averaging. It's a, oh. it's multiplicative. Okay. So it's okay. 0.9 times 0.9 times 0.9, which is actually yep. 0.72. Yep. Okay. So every single time you add more things that need to go right to the system, the less reliable that total system becomes. Hmm. And so this was my, I, you know, this was my like mathematical formula to do less shit. Yeah. You know, and my point was, well, if you're doing, you're trying to do all these very complicated systems, the reliability of that system is going to go down the more components you add. When you switch to a very like hyper niched focus strategy where you're not spending tens of thousands of dollars a month on marketing, you know, there's less things that need to go right. Yeah. And that is, is, is what you've done here is you've, you've hyper, you know, and I did the same thing with my business. We don't do any paid marketing anymore. We switched nice. entirely to a personal branding strategy. Why? Cause I wanted to reduce the downside and I need less things to go right in this case. Right. And that's exactly what you've yeah. done here. And so on one side, you've got this, you know, continuing to try to make a, a reliable system. And again, you're just copying. We have another phrase that we say, uh, only innovate where you differentiate. Mm. And what you what you've done is you've taken something that has worked for somebody else and you've just copied it. That's and true. then you're going in and you're only innovating in the areas of that where you actually differentiate. Yeah, and that, in my opinion, is what's led to this. Uh, of course, like there's other factors at play here, but like that's why you're crushing it in foreclosures because you just copied and then you innovated where you differentiated. You took council's strategy of land entitlements. And I know you're under a contract on a big subdivision, which hopefully I, you know, you make tons and tons of money on, which would be great. It but would like, be cool. That That's so cool, man, to see that. And a, a lot of this stuff you just do very intuitively. So um, kudos to you. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm excited to hear how these, these work uh, this, especially the land stuff. That's what attracts me. Uh, it's cool, man. It's so fascinating. It really is. Um, and it's wild because like, I really legitimately think it's probably the easiest thing because like <laughs> my VAs do it. <laughs> so like, I don't even, I don't even need to do it at yeah. all. Like from like, literally all I do is like 
show up to the meetings. Maybe I got a project manager that does it. I don't have to do anything. I don't even have to find the deals like they do it. And so um, it's been wild. Well, but, so yeah. we talk also about this idea of the solvable problem. Yeah. Right. And, and we get into business because, I mean, we all have our reasons. Um, you like me, we're both competitive guys. Like we just, I like to compete. I like to, I like to play business as a sport. Um, it's because it's really fun and exciting and you get to impact people's lives and you get to make money and all these fun things. It's got these highs and these lows. Right. And, uh, and so I'm curious, what, do, how do you think about your own solvable problem? What are you using these businesses to help you get closer to in life? Yeah, that that's a great question, man. And um, and I and I appreciate you laying it out like that. So, and here's the honesty of that: like, you sent me the email that had the solvable problem thing. I didn't quite understand it, and then um, you told me um, your solvable problem, which is to play, play, play business like you play pick up pick up ball. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Um, just to hear you say that. And so, like in the last. 10 minutes, I've got a very unrefined solvable problem, but I do think it fits the core values of who I am and at the core and even like what my long-term vision is. And so at the same time, when I, I talked about like the ceiling of what I believed is possible, um, I can achieve that expanded my long-term goal of what I want out of my life. So like, I'm, I don't know if you've listened to Rob Deerdick lately, but I'm like obsessed with Rob Deerdick. Like I just, that guy is very, very disciplined and you hyper optimized. His life yeah. is like hyper optimized. Um, it reminds me of Kobe, like very, very much the same way, hyper optimized life, but his is a lot more analytical. Um, and so I, I love that. And so I, I actually try to do that, but he talks about this idea of a hundred year goal and that like, that's really, really fascinating to me because like when I think of my hundred year goal, I think of what um what what do i want the legacy that i live my life like my life for to be in a hundred years when i'm long gone i don't want to live a hundred years a hundred more years i definitely don't and so like what do i want the legacy to be and at the same time this ends up being what the remind me of what it's called solvable problem yeah what my solvable problem is and so for for me it aligns with my hundred year goal but um with that what that solvable problem is is to be able to impact the most amount of people without impacting um, my family's life. So like, and when I say that, um, it's still unrefined, but like I have tried so hard to, um, to help so many people. I, I really, my heart and my desire is that people don't think that people will profit from me as like a facade or some, some, some sort of gimmick. I really, really want people I, I actually, I don't care at this point, like what people think about it, but I hope that I don't put off like that. It's a facade. Um, I really want people of a profit to be like what I do, what I live for, and not just a saying of, of, of what, what we stand for. And so in that, in this process, my wife has to remind me multiple times, Hey, Devin, your job isn't to take care of that person. Your job is to take care of our family because I often will um, sacrifice. And this is, and I have to, this is a tension that I have to walk the line of. Like I often will sacrifice sometimes like what my family gets and what my family has to be able to help and serve other people. And so, um, so one of my things, I'm unsolved, something solvable problems. Um, so is to be able to like help the maximum amount of people that I possibly can without hindering the well-being and the quality of life of my family. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And so like 
to be able to give as freely as I possibly can at such a high level and at such a high scale that it still doesn't sacrifice the well-being and the quality of life of my family is what I would is what yeah. I would say is mine. And hopefully that falls into line of what it actually is supposed to be and what you're talking about. Dude, I, I think it's great to hear your perspective on that. What what I've what I've learned about this process of uh, entrepreneurship is some people value relationships. Some people value impact or influence that they can make on their community or their, you know, whatever. Um, no judgment. Some people want the private jet and the private island. Like, no judgment from me. Um, some people want it so that they have unlimited time, right? They just don't want to work. Yeah. They want to be able to, you know, to stay with their family. And and none of that is is right or wrong. It's a preference, right? And And I think part of what I learned out of you know, this book, Rigging the Game, uh, through my mentor, Dan Nicholson, and this concept of the solvable problem is we've got to clearly define what we're actually trying to get closer to mm. because entrepreneurship is this, uh, it can often be a trap to just chasing more and more and more. And whether, whether you're optimizing for money or you're optimizing for something else, you know, if you don't have clearly stated what you're looking to try to accomplish, you just, I've found myself getting in this trap of chasing more and more and more. Yeah. So what I tried to do, and it seems like what you're trying to say here as well is like, well, what is the number, potentially the amount of money that, that my family needs in order to be comfortable, in order to live the life that we want to live so that we have financial certainty, not just like, security or like, well, but what happens if things change is like, we have a bulletproof moat, you know, like wall, impenetrable yeah. fortress around our life, because that is what's going to allow us to go do the things, right? I say play business as a sport. And a lot of that is because I just enjoy playing business. What you're saying is I want to make an impact on as many people as possible without that impacting my own, your own family. And so, you know, that's how I think of the solvable problem is defining what what those needs are and and trying to put a number to it understanding that well this is subject to change as i get more information but now we're working towards an actual number mm. and uh and it allows us to go do the other things in our life without impacting other let's say currencies that we want like time energy relationships yeah. influence impact things like that yeah no that's good man that's really good and and i you know and it reminds me so like I have a number that we're going for professionally. Like it's not a it's not it's not even like a the number is not a financial number. The number is the amount of people number. But like I have that number and so just even bringing that down to okay like what's the number for my family? I think that's really awesome. Thank you for that, man. Yeah, of course, dude. Um you know, I I got all this in the last year or two because uh I needed I needed uh to to get out of this chasing more and more and more thing it's like yeah. we were just trying to make more money um do more deals you know do larger deals okay yeah. great to what end like where does this stop um or the point where you have a certain level of certainty in your life that you're doing this because you want to do it not because you have to do it or because you're you know your your human brain is like wired towards survival and making more and more and more, mm. and so you know that's just a loop that that I think is worth trying to break in your life. Yeah, that's cool, man. Um, cool. So let's talk a little bit about 
the, you know, these strategies, like we've already kind of laid it out. I like to describe a barbell. Again, this is a concept that has been written about for thousands of years, multiple authors. They describe this as a bimodal strategy for risk domestication. That's a lot of words. So we just call it a barbell, right? <laughs> a bimodal strategy for, for risk, risk domestication. domestication. I think that's the word risk domestication, risk domestication, whatever. Yeah. Risk domestication. And so it's like, well, if you're trying to build a life, ideally that gets you closer to the things that you want, the goal is really to align with what we say the least amount of risk, least amount of effort, and most amount of options, right? And so this barbell strategy, what this does is it basically says we don't want to load weight in the middle of the bar. There's a, there's a lot of risk to the barbell tipping over. Like that just doesn't make sense. We wouldn't load weight in the middle of the bar. Yeah. And so on one side, we want to have things that are very reliable, that are allowing us to achieve this financial certainty and go do whatever it is that we're, that we're trying to do in life. On the other side, uh, you know, the authors who write about this, they describe like we want to take bets that have a really high upside but also have a very low downside. So I'm curious if you could describe your different strategies and maybe where you've got things on one side or the other, and maybe where you've got things in the middle where, yeah, the upside's big, but the downside's also fairly big because it's not super reliable at the moment. Yeah. Um, so great, great, man. Um, it, it is one of those things where like, okay, so the land stuff, huge upside. Um, risk isn't actually that bad. Like, um, cause I'm trying to think of risk reward, the upside, all of that stuff like that, um, kind of that ratio, but, uh, it's hard because I don't, so I have an extremely high, like off the charts risk tolerance. So nothing seems risky to me. Like, like when you're talking about risk, I'm like, none of it's risky, but I mean, like maybe, um, because like. You know, maybe it's risky to dive all in and, and, and abandon all other marketing avenues in order to pursue foreclosures. Like maybe, because then what if you don't get any that week or whatever? Um, maybe it's risky to start a, a, a fund. Um, and so like, maybe, maybe it's risky to start a VA thing because people are like, oh, the market's saturated full of them, maybe. And so um, I don't know, man, like my risk tolerance is like so off the walls that I just don't think in like, man, this is a really risky thing for me to do. Uh, I just think like, here's an opportunity. Why wouldn't I pursue it? I'm on like my ninth business at this point. Like, I feel like I've learned. And, and you mentioned this earlier. It's very, very right. Um, in that like, I've owned other businesses and they're like 101. Like building and running those businesses is like 101. This is like a 301. Like you got to have SOPs, different departments communicate well with each other, all of that stuff. The only risky side of it is like um, not having the things set up to efficiently run because, because what ends up happening is like most businesses, when people start them and most opportunities, when people start them, they don't die from starvation. They typically work. They die from like most businesses die from indigestion because like they don't have the infrastructure to support the growth. They don't have the systems and processes in place to sustain um, growth and progress. And so for me, like, I, it's hard for me to think of the bar, barbell thing as like a risk thing. Um, and so I, I do have a little bit of trouble wrapping my head around it. And so if I'm honest with you, and so um, that may not be the right answer to the question, but it's hard, like, 
I just don't necessarily see a huge risk to anything that I'm doing. I feel like wholeheartedly that it's work, let it, that it'll work. Um, as long as we have the systems and process in place for it to grow well. Um, well, let me, let me articulate this, uh, in a way that might, cause it took me a while to click. Cause you and I are very similar. Like my risk tolerance is, is, is very high. Let's just say, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and someone told me this, this story and maybe it'll click for you. So it was like, let's play a game. You want to play a game? I love games. So, let's play. So it. it costs $10 to play this game and you get six tries to win. If you win, you make a million dollars. So that's pretty good. Yeah, 10 bucks. 10 bucks, you get to play six times. You know, you, bucks. You, you win, you make a million dollars. And actually, you have an 83% chance of winning this game every single time you play. What do you think? You want to play? I'm all in. Okay. That is what most entrepreneurs do. But here's the game. It's called Russian Roulette. So <laughs> Russian roulette, what do we know about Russian roulette? There's six spots in the chamber and there's one bullet in there. It's so very permanent. 83% of the time, five times out of six, you're not going to catch that bullet and you're going to win a million bucks. But one time out of six, 17% of the time, the, the game is complete total ruin and now you can never play again. Yep. And so why that stuck with me so bad is that as entrepreneurs, most of the time we just look at, yeah, but the, look at the upside here. Yeah, but if I'm right, I make a million dollars and I have an 83% chance of making it. But none mm -hmm. of us would play that game if we actually knew we were playing Russian roulette mm -hmm. because we're not paying attention to the downside. And so I'm not insinuating that business is life or death, that if we're wrong, we you know blow our head off and we can never play again. But what I'm what I'm what I learned from that story right there is that I have a tendency to not look at the downside to mm. only look at the upside. Yeah, same. And so when I started rewiring my brain to say, like, well, if we can just remove the downside from these situations, all we're left with is upside. Yeah. So when I talk about risk, what I'm saying is, how do we take things and put it like businesses that we run? and make them very reliable, right? The, 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 the wholesaling side of our, our businesses, um, you know, different things that we all do, re rentals, things like this. The downside is very low with these types of businesses, ideally if they're very, very predictable, right? Mm -hmm. You put one thing in, you get this out. So it's a highly predictable business and the downside is very low because of that. Where we get into trouble is where we make bets where like, if this goes right, we make a million dollars. Yeah. If this goes wrong, we blow our life up and we can't play anymore. Yeah. But we don't pay attention to the downside. We only look at the upside as, you know, quick starts and people who are high, you know, uh, uh, tolerance for risk and things like this. And so that's how I think about mm. risk is like saying, well, I, I get that the upside is really big with that game, but what's the actual downside? So I'm trying to rewire my brain to say, well, how do I make bets that if we're wrong the downside is very low mm. but if we're right we're either going to get high reliable predictable businesses or we're going to have massive upside and i tend to agree with you things like land entitlements what's the downside 
well, we're not actually taking title to the property. We might be out a few tens of thousands of dollars that you're going to spend on, you know, surveys and yeah. environmental things, yada, Architects, yada, yada. stuff like that. Yeah. Very low downside, but huge upside. Yep. You know, the podcasting and the stuff that you do. Uh, and I can speak from my own experiences. The upside is massive. Like the things that, that have people have popped out of the woodworks, the opportunities that have found me. I mean, nice. I would have never been able to predict that. It's very unpredictable, <laughs> but the upside is tremendous. What's the downside of making that decision to go to a personal branding strategy? I don't know. You make friends. Yeah. Yeah. Like you make content. I don't know. Maybe time. Time is the only. That's it. In my opinion, yeah. the downside is your time, a little bit of money, like the opportunity cost potentially. But, you know, so that's how I think of the barbell is like, okay. well, what's the downside of doing this? If I'm wrong, what happens? This doesn't work out. What happens? And I try to now reorient my brain to say, <laughs> how do we make bets that if I'm wrong here, we we're going to be just fine. Because if you can just eliminate yeah. downside, all you're left with is upside. And that's, that's how good. I think about risk. That's good. No, I appreciate that. That's really good too, man. Um, Cause I don't think about that ever. I don't ever think about the downside. Like in, in like, sometimes I pride myself on never thinking on the downside. Like I'm just not a downside type person, but like, also you do want to walk the balance or have that balance of like, what's realistic. Like, cause there is a 17% chance, right? Like there, what is the real, like what's realistically could happen and how do you mitigate the risk? while being realistic so i think i think i think that does make a lot of sense now i still don't know how to apply it to the barbell so like i'm like okay um is like because i'm thinking of a barbell i like working out i like doing all that stuff i love like olympic lifting i like things like that and if i'm thinking of my barbell i'm thinking well if risk is on one side and the um the opportunities on the other side it's a very uneven barbell so like so I call it not risk. I call it so like on one side, we want to have reliable. Okay. On the other side, we want to have upside, right? So what I, what I'm, what I'm seeing from you is you're taking your, your foreclosures and your VAs and that type of stuff. And you're moving it towards how do we make these businesses ultra reliable and predictable? Mm -hmm. You know, Stephanie betters would be very happy to hear this. It's like you put this in, you get this out that's a very reliable business. And that is going to help us lock in the financial goals that we want because we can actually predict what's coming. Yep. And then on the other side, you're taking bets with land entitlements. This have very high upside, but low downside. You're raising money. In my opinion, that's also another high leverage, very mm -hmm. high upside, very low downside. Uh, the stuff that you're doing with AI, high upside, low, what's the downside of learning a new technology and <laughs> 5Xing, 10Xing your, your team's uh, capacity pr to produce? Yeah, nothing. You know, so I think what I'm trying to, uh, to pull out is like, you have, a, you have a very balanced barbell right now. It's the idea yeah. of like, make, make these things more reliable, add more upside and reduce yep. downside on this side. Okay, that makes sense. That makes total sense. Um, yeah, because like that's what, I guess that is what it is. It's just like the reliability of it is I'm just, I think I'm hedging on the future of it. Like, you know, like in a lot of ways, like the reliability comes from the vision that I have of the future of it. If that makes sense. Like when I think about what the possibilities are, then we reverse engineer what those possibilities are, what the future is that we're heading to, to make sure that it's really reliable. I, I don't know. I'm still trying to, I think that's where I think that's right.
Yeah, I'm probably not the best person at this time on, <laughs> on this stuff. So Dude, not at all. No, I'm still this trying is, to figure it out. This is uh, this has been a good conversation um, because it's helping me not only articulate this, but like to, um, yeah. When I think of risk, like it took me a while to understand. Well, I'm not a I, I don't really care about risk. Yeah, it's like yeah, but if you want to build a a, a reliable fortress around yep. your and that, business and that and makes life, sense like because like i think you would be negligent if you don't think about that aspect of it like it's it's got to be reliable it's got to be like it's it, it's got to be reliable it's got to be effective and efficient otherwise it's chaos and then and then of course like you have there there has to be a ton of clarity or else it doesn't work right like um and you know carl and everything we, we talk about this idea that like um clear like the lack of clarity produces ambiguity and ambiguity um, produces a ton of um, stress and friction and friction creates resentment and all of that stuff comes from the lack of clarity with what we're talking about with essentially like the lack of thinking about um, creating reliability so like I think clarity and creating reliability also are almost not hand in hand because they're they two one one like I think one is a more of a language thing and the other one is more of an operational thing so like uh, but I do also think language shapes culture and it shapes accountability and it shapes everything about your systems and operations. So like they are hand in hand. Um, they are maybe two different vehicles heading in the same direction with the same um, purpose. But like, um, but yeah, so I, I do, I do now see, I'm seeing, starting to see a lot more about that reliability thing, the aspect of it where it's important to put that to high risk um, in like risk tolerance people with, um, with large visions, there's the necessity for clarity and, um, and reliability. So, and and I don't know how you get closer to the things that, you know, you get clear on what you want. Now we want to get closer to those things. Yep. The only way you do that is through reliable businesses. A lot of us Mm -hmm. own rentals because like it, it doesn't get much more reliable and predictable than that. You know, you can, you can predict that a certain number of times a year, you're going to get a phone call. And you're going to, you know, get that thorn in your side. But like with a fairly high level, of, you can predict the cash flow, the amount of time you're going to spend on it and how many doors you need in order to get that, you know, financial freedom number, as mm-hmm. we all talk about. And I yeah. think that's all we're insinuating is like we want to pack the reliable side of the barbell with the things that get us closer to the solvable problem, you know, clarity that we have yeah. for our lives, get closer to those things. Um, and we need a mechanism to know whether we're getting closer or not. And that's sort of, you know, the clarity that you're alluding to. Yeah, that's great, man. That's good. Thanks for um, that. <laughs> of course, dude. No, this is good. We haven't had much of a chance to talk about barbells and, and things like this before the show. So no, it's um, great. Hopefully it's it. resonating with you. Um, so I like to finish off the show with leaving our listeners with uh, something, a, a lesson you've learned in business. I mean, you've started so many businesses. You and I, uh, we've sat around and, and, and compared scars multiple times, right? Like here's the scars that we've collected. Yeah. So I'd like to know what, you know, what maybe your greatest lesson you've learned in business or something you've learned recently that you'd like to share with everyone. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of things. Um, one of the biggest things is like, I think it's so important. So big football guy, I love football. Um, I love sports in general, but I think like one of the biggest things that I've learned is like, 
if you ever watch a football game or if you've ever been in uh, on a football team or uh, whatever, it's not the it's typically not the best team that wins. It's not even the most prepared team that wins. The team that wins the game is the team that adjusts the best at halftime. And so like for me, um, I know for for me and my my probably some of my biggest lessons I've ever learned have come from being really adaptable. Um, but then also like not changing who I am, but changing, um, changing to what's necessary to win in the second half. So um, for instance, when we first started the company and we were blowing up and things are awesome. If you knew anything about me, I am, um, I am just like all throughout college, all throughout high school have always been like, fly the seat of my pants, really excited. Um, very much so like really outgoing, all of that stuff, not structured at all, not disciplined, any of that stuff. And then what happened was the huge market shift, the company going way downhill, it forced me to adjust. Right. And so I adjusted by putting my head down, building out the things that I've hated all my life, systems, processes, rules, like structure, all of that stuff. And now it's gotten to the point where like, I love that stuff. Like, like uh, people asked me to help them build out their systems and processes. And like, if you knew me in high school, or if you knew me in college, or if you knew me in my other companies, like I would be the last person you would ever think would do that. And so like, it's caused me to adjust at halftime and, and adjust sometimes my strategy moving forward, still sticking to the game plan, just adjusting how it's executed in the second half of the game. And so um, that's probably one of the biggest things that I've learned. Uh, moving moving from this aspect of the company because it hasn't changed who I am, right? It hasn't changed who I am, but like I, I like predictive index. I like those things. I, I I remember sat there with Sharper and all that stuff in August of 2021, Maverick. That's me, blah, 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 blah. And then I took it again, like four months ago, Captain. And so I think what ended up happening was my mindset um, a lot of the things about me shifted because a captain is very similar to a maverick, but with, with, the, with the understanding of the importance of rules and structures and systems and, and a direction to head in. And so like it shifted, like who I am and how I operate has shifted because it needed to adjust at halftime. And so like that, and that permeates every aspect of my business where like we go, all right, halftime time to go back change up the game plan how do we move forward and i think those are the people that make it through and those are the people that win the game um are the people that are willing to and able to adjust based off of how the other team's playing or whatever's going on on the other side of the table and so um i think that's one of the biggest lessons i've learned man that's so good adjusting at halftime i think that's really well said uh we have a phrase that we say on our team is uh, test and learn, not plan and implement. You know, mm. it's this idea that we get so attached to like our strategies, like here's what we're going to do, you know, but our plans are just our best estimation of reality. And you have to adjust at halftime, right? Yeah. You can't just barrel through and try to force it in because, because again, we don't know everything we we can make our best guess we can yep. go out but we're going to test and we're going to learn and then we're going to adjust mm -hmm. and uh and I, I i couldn't agree more that's it's definitely a a framework that we try to implement on our team and a lesson for success right there and i know you've yeah. learned that the hard way over the years so well and I, and i think like so our our core value it aligns with our core values which are like innovation 
Um, one of them is innovation and the other one is growth and development. Um, because like I, one of my favorite things to do is to come into any industry that I come into and just be a complete disruptor to that industry. Like, um, by now all of a sudden bringing in a ton of AI, like being able to innovate what people have been doing for, I mean, people have been wholesaling for years. It started to get popular, but people do the same things over and over and, and like pushing my team to innovate on how we can even just do things differently. Um, or the things that we can implement to enhance what we're doing or make it more efficient or make it more effective. Um, and then not being complacent because like the moment you become complacent is the moment that you lose the game, right? Like, because you thought that you had it, you thought your game plan was going to work. You thought that you were God's gift to earth. You thought you had all the skills in the world to be able to win the game, but it doesn't rely on just you and your abilities. It relies on your ability to adjust and your team's ability to come together and to, to innovate and to do these things. And so, and I um, couldn't agree more with what you're saying. That's good, man. Just at halftime. That'd probably be the title of this show. Hey. Um, so, Devin, you're doing so many cool things with, you know, pre-foreclosures. You're just such a giver, you know. Uh, I hope you don't mind me uh, suggesting that if you want to learn more about pre-foreclosures, <laughs> don't, raising don't do money. Don't do it for me. I'm not the person for it. Michael I, uh, Frankie is the GOAT, yeah. but you're certainly making a lot of progress and in innovating uh, where you differentiate in that in, in particular. So how can folks get a hold of you, Devin, if they want to learn more about what you're up to? Yeah, I'm, um, I got, so it's funny because in other industries, people ask me these questions. And of course, like I put them into a funnel, into a drip campaign and all these things and sell a course. I got nothing to sell. I, I don't know anything, um, but I'd, I'd be more than happy to help in any way. And so you can reach out. I mean, the easiest place would be Instagram and I guess it's at Devin.Robinson1. And so like, um, that'd be the easiest place. I'm more than happy to help out in any way that I can. Um, and, and yeah, and so that, that's kind of where I'll be. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I mean, Devin's putting out a whole bunch of content. You and I are both making a big push right now for uh, content, sharing our, our message. You know, we love it because there's a high upside and the downside right. is, is fairly low. You might look dumb on camera for a second or two, but you know, that's how I see it, so um, and you don't man, look dumb on camera. You look good on camera. Oh, thanks, man. You know. Yeah, you got Appreciate the you that. got the nice look at that. The Steve Jobs black T-shirt. You're rolling with it, bro. I got the Steve Jobs black T-shirt. I have a stack of plain T-shirts, and they're different colors. They're not all black, but uh, yeah, it makes it easy on me. So yeah, it does. good. Um, all right, man. Well, thanks for joining me today. Like I said, I I think this was a fantastic conversation. We talked through, you know all the things you're doing with VAs. We talked to the solvable problem and the barbell and all this stuff. Um, for everybody else that's listening, you know, we, we talk about these things and the title of this show is called the investor frame podcast. What the investor frame is knowing what you know now, what changes do you need to make in your business uh, to help you get closer to the things that you want without chasing more. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in today. Devin, thanks as always for joining me and uh, yeah. we'll see you guys on the next episode. Yeah, for sure. Thank you.